So um, I thought I was going to uh, share tonight was, um, you know, being uh, the word, letting the word of God grow within you, and uh, and how uh, we can build our desire by um, by being involved in the work of the Lord. And I'm going to start in Psalm verse uh, chapter 37 and verse four. It's a wonderful scripture. I'm going to base the talk on this one scripture and just look for some examples through through the Bible. Uh, of when this worked well, when it didn't work well. But it says here in uh, Psalm chapter 37, verse 4, it says, Delight thyself also in the Lord, and he shall give thee the desires of thine heart. And uh, this word delight means to be an pliable, to surrender to God. So as we surrender to God, as we become pliable, moldable in his hands, he will reveal the desire of our heart. And so uh, sometimes it needs a bit of doing um, before we understand um, what our real desires are. And the Lord had this unique way in conversation of really picking a person's desire out by a conversation. And we're going to, whether the conversation was delight or spite, and the Lord was very good at you know dividing uh, where the heart of the matter, what matter was. So we're going to look at an example. We'll do the negative first so we can finish with the positive, And we'll look in Matthew chapter 19. And we'll keep moving here in verse... 16, very well-known story. It says, And behold, one came and said unto him, Good master, what good thing shall I do that I may have eternal life? And Jesus said unto him, Why callest thou me good? And the Lord straight away picks up in this little bit of flattery, you know, that uh, he comes with him saying, Good master, but I don't think, and very soon the Lord really picks him out and realizes that He's got the words, but he hasn't got the actions to back up what he's what he's saying here. He says, uh, "Why do you call me good? There is um, there is none good but one that is God. But if thou wilt enter into life, keep the commandments." And he said to him, "Which?" And Jesus said, "Thou shalt do no murder. Thou shalt not commit adultery. Thou shalt not steal." and thou shalt not bear false witness. Then the Lord goes on and says in verse 19, Honour thy father and thy mother, and thou shalt love thy neighbour as thyself. And the Lord is, you know, it's very similar to the conversation in John chapter 4, the woman at the well. You know, go and call your husband. And there's some things that the Lord knows about us that there's no point hiding from him. But if we delight ourselves in the Lord, if we are moldable in front of the Lord, then he will shape us um, to have good desires in our heart. And it goes on, verse 20, And the young man said unto him, All these things have I kept from my youth. What, what lack I yet? Wow, what a thing to say. I've done all of these things. And then the Lord gets quite pointed, and he said unto him, If thou will be perfect, if you want to be perfect, go and sell that all that you have, and give to the poor. I think the Lord had already addressed it by saying, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. And I'm sure he had a poor neighbor. But the Lord now is really digging in to show him, the, you know, what is the, his real desire here? So he says, and give to the poor, and thou shalt have treasure in heaven, and come and follow me. And that's what's so wonderful about the Lord, is that uh, that's the ministry of, of Jesus Christ that he gave up everything he had to come to the poor and to love his neighbor as himself. That was his ministry. He says, if you want to be perfect, well, this is your ministry, which was my ministry here. But in verse 22, but when the young man had heard this saying, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. 
and so the desires of his heart were revealed. And that, then said Jesus to his disciples, Verily I say unto you, that a rich man shall hardly enter into the kingdom of heaven. And again I say unto you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. Let's go, go to another scripture here. We're going to do quite a bit of reading tonight. Well, I'm going to do quite a bit of reading tonight. We're going to do quite a bit of listening and following on. But Matthew chapter 6. On the same thread, to understand, um, you know, there are many desires out in this world and um, and some of those desires are quite evil. But some of those desires, the way they present themselves, are still quite flattering. But when we dig into what is the desire behind the words, the desire is actually off the mark of what the Lord wants, you know, from from mankind. And you wouldn't need to go too far and get involved in too many conversations to draw that conclusion. But the Lord wants to teach us, um, he wants to teach us so that uh, he can mould us and shape us so that we desire the right things and our, and our outcome is good. So in Matthew chapter 6 and verse 19, the same type of thing, lay not up for yourselves treasure upon earth where moth and rust does corrupt and where thieves break through and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, delight in those things. Where neither moth nor rust corrupt, where not thieves break through and steal. For it says, for where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. There will your desire be also. There will your uh, delight be also. There will your joy be also. Wherever you see that treasure. It says, the light of the body is the eye. If therefore the eye be single, it says the whole body shall be full of light. If you see it one way, you see it this way, if your eye be single and your eye be, you know, have light, your whole body be full of light. And if an eye be evil, it says the whole body shall be full of darkness. It says if therefore the, uh, if therefore the light that is in thee be darkness, how great is that darkness? If there's only one or the other, if it's, it's, it's not, um, a dim light and it's not a bright darkness, it's only light or darkness, the Lord is saying here. You either delight in my word and you delight in my ways and you allow me to shape you or you have nothing to do with me. And there are many scriptures we can think of, you know, Lord, Lord, didn't we do this in your name? He says, depart from me. I never knew you. The workers of iniquity. You are law unto yourself. In verse 24 it says here, No man can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and he will love the other, or else he will hold to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. And could the Lord be any clearer to us to kind of say there is only one or the other? You either delight in the ways that I do things or you're in spite of the things that I do. You hate the things that I do. In Luke 12, we're not going to turn to it, in verse 21 it says, in the same kind of vein he says, so is he that lays up treasure for himself and is not rich towards God. The Lord saying, I want you to be rich towards me, not rich towards this world. I want you to be invested in me and not invested in this world. I want you to desire the things that I desire and not desire the things that the world desires. So delight thyself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. And maybe for some people that are watching tonight, you actually don't know your desire yet because you haven't committed your life to the Lord. You haven't delighted in the Lord that he may shape you and that he may establish your, des- your, your desire and your delight in him. 
So let's look at a, a, a story, a positive story, which started negative but ended positive. We're going to look to the book of Nehemiah and we're going to go through a few things here. We're going to stay in the book of Nehemiah really for the rest of uh, tonight. And um, to give you a bit of an understanding, what's happening in the book of Nehemiah here is um, Nehemiah is one of, the, one of the captives that were taken away after Jerusalem was destroyed uh, by King Nebuchadnezzar from the Babylonians and uh and was he well, probably wouldn't have been taken away at that time then, but he was in captivity in Shushan, which is in Iran. And um, but uh, he is actually trying to make right what was actually broken down in Jerusalem. Jerusalem had been completely destroyed by this king, and Jerusalem was the center point of the worship of the children of Israel. It's where the temple was, and it's where the foundation of their worship was. And it was a very dark time for uh, Israel. Because um, there is no limit to God's love, um, and and there's no limit to His mercy and to His grace. Uh, but the Lord is righteous, and the Lord had to teach His people after years and years of warning that He said He would divorce His people, He would leave them, and He would send someone to take them away captive. And so this is a you talk about some really dark times. Uh, you know, it's a, as dark as a time of, as a, uh, a parent that would disown their child. And you can imagine what it takes for a loving parent, a natural, you know, corrupt parent to disown a child. And you can understand how dark this time was for Israel. That a God that full of grace and mercy and love um, and wanting the best for his children had to teach him a lesson by uh, disowning them for a period. He had disowned them but had never forgotten them. And this is a time when, uh, through one man and through, uh, you know, uh, there was a number of people, but there's one man in particular, they went back and they restored the place of worship. And in throughout the whole story, how God, um, showed his character that yes, he had divorced them but had never forgotten them. And it's good for us to know how God operates, and if we turn our eyes to the Lord, what he can do for us. So let's start in chapter 1, and we'll do our best to get through this in the next 15 to 20 minutes or so. Okay, so in in, uh, verse 1 it says, In the words of Nehemiah, the son of Hachaliah, and it came to pass in the month of Chizilu, in the 20th year, as I was in Shushan the palace. So he's in Iran now. It says that Hananiah, one of my brethren, a friend of his, came, he and a certain men of Judah, which is where Jerusalem is, and they asked them concerning the Jews that had escaped, which were left of the captivity, and concerning Jerusalem. So the first thing that Nehemiah asked him, how are they doing in Jerusalem? What is What does Jerusalem look like? And you can start to pick up what is the desire of his heart. Is he a man that's got, who delights in the Lord? Or is he a man that's, you know, uh, looking to furnish Shushan and, and the palace there and, and the kingdom there? And in verse 3, And they said unto me, The remnant that are left of the captivity there in the province are in great affliction and reproach, and the wall of Jerusalem also is broken down, and the gates thereof are burned with fire. And it came to pass, when I heard these words... This is the words of Nehemiah, that I sat down and wept and mourned certain days and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. When he heard the state of Jerusalem, he got on his knees and wept and fasted. That was his reaction. 
is this man a man that delights in the Lord? And the answer is yes. And you can tell by his his reaction that what his true desire is. In verse 5, and he said, I beseech thee, O Lord God of heaven, the great and terrible God that keeps the covenant and mercy uh, for them that love him and observe his commandments. So he speaks out this great prayer. In verse 11, O Lord, I beseech thee, let thine ear be attentive to the prayer of thy servant. I beg thee, Lord, listen to listen you know, to what I'm saying and to the prayer of thy servants who desire these things. We desire to fear thy name and prosper. He attached these two things together. Number one, that to fear thy name, to have respect for the name of God. And he attached this word that I may prosper. If I have respect for the word of God, if I have respect for the will of God, if I have respect for the way that God wants me to do things, then I will prosper. I pray thee thy servant this day, and grant him mercy in the sight of this man, for I was the king's cupbearer. So uh, it's, an, it's an amazing kind of thought how Nehemiah really pours out his heart in this prayer to the Lord. It makes you think of a scripture I've got written down here in First John chapter 2. It says, Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. If you delight in the world, you will get all the desires of the world. If you delight in the Lord, you will get all the desires of what God wants you to do. So if you delight in the Lord's will, he will give you the desires of your heart. And that's what we learn from this first part of the story. That, um, you know, uh, that if we put our heart towards the Lord, the Lord will, you know, he will shape our desire. Let's keep going. Chapter two. Let's talk about this man that he spoke about, this king. And, and in verse one, it says, it came to pass in the month of Nisan, in the twentieth year of, um, Artaxerxes the king, um, that wine was before him, and I took up the wine and gave it unto the king. Now I had not been sad before, um, had not, I had not been before sad in his presence. It says, Wherefore the king said unto me, Was thy countenance sad, seeing thou art not sick? This is nothing else but sorrow of heart. So the king picked it, and then the Lord allowed him to pick it. And I was very sore afraid. And I said unto the king, Let the king live forever. Why should my, um, why should not my countenance be sad when the city, the place of my father's sepulchres lie waste? and the gates thereof are consumed with fire. Then the king said unto me, For uh, what dost thou make request? What are you asking me to do here? So I prayed to God of heaven, and I said unto the king, If it please the king, if you would allow me, if thy servant have found favour in thy sight, that thou wouldest send me unto Judah, unto the city of my father's sepulchres, that I may build it. And the king said unto me, and the queen also sitting with him, for how long shall thy journey be? How long will you be away? So he was, uh, whoever you know, Nehemiah was, he shone before the king. He was a, sh- a, a bright and shining light before the king. How long will you be away? Was his first question. And when, when will you return? So it pleased the king to send me and set, um, and I set a time and I set him a time, so I told him how long I was going to be. In verse 7, Moreover, I said unto the king, If it please the king, let letters be given me to the governors beyond the river, that they may, con- um, may convey me over till I come unto Judah. And if you read the story, not only did the king allow him to go, but the king loaded him up 
with materials uh, and means to go back and to fulfil the desire of his heart. Remember, he was weeping for, you know, uh, Jerusalem, the foundation of the worship of, of the children of Israel. So if we delight in the law, the lesson in this is that uh, nothing shall be impossible. Those that oppose us will come and give us favour. Those that uh, hold us in captivity will set us free if we if we delight in the Lord. We go down to verse 11. So I came to Jerusalem, so he set off now. I came to Jerusalem and I was there three days. This is Nehemiah. And I arose in the night and some few men with me, neither told I any man what my God had put in my heart to do at Jerusalem. So now he's got this whole company of people coming with him, and now he's only revealing unto them what what he's going to do, what to the time of his heart. Neither was there any beast with me, save the beast I rode upon. And I went out by night by the gate of the valley, even before the dragon well, and to the dung port, and viewed the walls of Jerusalem, which were broken down, and the gates thereof were consumed with fire. Then said I unto them, You see the distress that we are now in, how Jerusalem lies waste, and the gates thereof are burned with fire. Come, and let us build up the wall of Jerusalem, that we be no more a reproach. That within this city Jerusalem was their identity, that he understood that they had no identity without the worship of God, without God being number one in their life, without God being, uh, without them fearing the Lord and respecting the Lord, there was never going to be prosperity. It was always going to be captivity and struggle. And he led these people. So delight yourself in the Lord and he will bring the purpose into your life. And he will even inspire others to follow in your ways. Nehemiah brought all these people with him because of his great desire to delight himself in the Lord. And it's a real lesson for us as well, that uh, if we set all of our affections toward the Lord, not only do we save ourselves, but we bring a whole lot of people with us if we set our delight towards God and his will. So chapter 4, we'll keep working through this story here. Opposition arrives. And is there, opposition only makes the story greater. Without opposition, then the story is really, uh, it really lacks a bit of spice, doesn't it? It's only when opposition comes in that we really get tested as to how much are we, you know, how much do we really believe in what we're building? And it was a real test for, you know, Nehemiah here. It's okay to build a wall if, you know, the sky is blue and there is no wind and the materials are arriving by conveyor belt. No problem, I'll build the wall. But how people are hurtling javelins at you, and how about people are uh, handing you bricks, but they're handing them, you know, at uh, 30 k's an hour and at your head. How well will you build the wall? And it makes for such a better story. And so I guess it's in like manner in our own life, do we believe in what we're building? Do we believe it enough that even if opposition comes our way, and people you know, persecute us, does that mean we pack up and leave? Put the trail back in our bag and let the concrete dry and we, we leave what we're building? We're building as well. And opposition will never stop us. But in chapter 4 and verse 7 it came to pass that when Sanballat and Tobiah and the Arabians and the Ammonites and the Ashdodites 
heard that the walls of Jerusalem were made up and that the breaches began to be stopped, that they were very wroth, not happy, and conspired all of them together to come and to fight against Jerusalem and to hinder it. It's pretty amazing. There's people that specialize in hindering. They're called the hinderers. Nevertheless, we made up our prayer unto God and set a watch against them day and night because of them. And this was the battle plan in verse 16. It came to pass um, from that time forth that the half of my servants wrought in the work, half of them worked in the building of walls, and the other half of them held both the spears. And they which build on the wall and they which bear burdens with those that laid it, every one with uh, one of his hands wrought in the work, and with the other hand he held a weapon. It says, For the builders, every one had his sword girded by his side, and so builded. And he that sounded the trumpet was by me. What, a, what an inspirational um, uh, illustration that is, to have your, your sword sharpened and ready. In the other hand, you're building. And that's what the Lord will teach us. If we are moldable in his hands, he will teach us how both to build and to defend. You know, there's some people in this life that they specialize in, like I was saying, hindering. They specialize um, in just throwing things. And they've never built anything in their life, but they've destroyed many houses and they've destroyed many a wall. And we need the skill to understand that uh, in the same sense, we need to have both skills. And the Lord teaches us both of those skills. That uh, there's no point in building something if you can't defend it. And uh, you can't really defend anything you've never built in your life. What are you defending? Air? There's plenty of air around you. Can you defend all the air of this of this world? And the answer is you can't. And so the Lord teaches us both skills. He says, if you delight in my ways, I will teach you both of these skills. How to build and how to defend. That nobody, you'll be a specialist in both parts. In Timothy, in chapter 6, says, fight the good fight of faith, lay hold on eternal life, whereunto you are also called, and has professed a good profession before many witnesses. Find a good fight for yourself, number one, and find a good fight by example for all those around you. Strive to be a good example, this good profession. I've got down here, chapter 5, verse 15. We want to read when it gets finished off, don't we? What's the point of starting this story if we don't read when it finishes off? In chapter 5 and verse 15, it's always a good one to underline as to when, that's the whole point of the story was the building of the wall, and this one it finished. Um, I better turn to it actually. Hopefully I've got underlines, yeah. So, so the wall was finished in the twenty and fifth day of the month, Elal, um, in fifty and two days. Not a bad job. Fifty-two days it took for them to build that. You know, I think it was Solomon that said, better is the end of a thing than the beginning. You know, um, the reward is in the end, and everything we see in our life, um, we don't really rejoice in all the half-done um you know, do-it-yourself home projects. And I don't think uh, your wife uh, kind of really says, well done, that bench is half done. I'm so proud of you. You've done the legs, and we rejoice in the legs that you built. 
But uh, I know one day with your wonderful attitude that you'll build the top. They don't really rejoice in that. But they rejoice when the top goes on and now we get the benefit of using the bench. And uh, Or maybe it's the other way around. I probably don't think I, I shouldn't make fun of uh, the husbands out there because I don't think I can build a, even a bench myself. But um, I think you get the point. Better is the end of a thing than the beginning. We don't kind of, you know, when we get to the kingdom of God, that's where the rejoicing is in, in getting to the end of our walk. We don't kind of say, oh, I rejoice and receive the Holy Spirit, and now let's just go back to what we were doing before. We rejoice at the end of a thing, seeing the end of a project. Uh, seeing the end of our building, seeing the end of our uh, um, uh, defending is where the rejoicing is. But but this is a very unique time in Israel, and it was a flash in Israel, unfortunately. But uh, we can you know we can learn from a lot of it anyway. But in chapter eight, there's this other thing about delighting yourself in the Lord, and and all this building, and all this battling, and all this uh, you know desire, and all this favour that was given to them really uh, grew within them. And uh, and we read here, and what it came to be, it was almost like the pinnacle of uh, what all of that, how it all manifested in them. And in chapter 8 we go there and it says, And all the people gathered themselves together as one man into the street that was before the water gate. And they spake unto Ezra the scribe to bring the book of the law of Moses, which the Lord had commanded to Israel. Now you have to understand that... Um, all these people here had never seen probably Jerusalem in all its glory. We're talking 140 years after the destruction of Jerusalem. And people didn't live that long in those days to be alive to have known that. So they're discovering the word of God for the first time. They're discovering the character of their God for the first time. They're learning it by action, but now they're going to read the word of God. In the same word of God that we read. And Ezra the priest brought the law before the congregation both of men and women and all that could hear um, with understanding upon the first day of the seventh month. And he read therein before the street that was before the water gate from the morning until midday. That's a long meeting before the men and women and those that could understand. And the ears of all the people were attentive unto the book of the law. What an amazing rebuilding this is. This is what God wanted of his people, to delight in his word. And because they didn't delight in his word, he destroyed the same city that they've now rebuilt. And what a wonderful time in in the story of a disowned, divorced people. But as they turned and delighted in the Lord, the Lord never forgot them. He brought everything back to them and restored everything as if it had never been uh, gone or destroyed. And Ezra the scribe stood uh, upon the pulpit of wood, which he had made for that purpose. And beside him stood all these people here. And verse 5, And Ezra opened the book in the sight of all the people, for he's above all the people. And, and when he opened it, all the people stood up. What a change this is. That at the opening of the, you know, the word of God, the people stood. Remember what, remember what Nehemiah said, he, he himself, you know, uh, he said, oh, you know, to, he wanted to fear the Lord and respect, and he associated that with prosperity. And he taught all these people to do the same. Why? Because they put their hand to the plow and did it. And Ezra blessed the Lord, the great God, and all the people answered, Amen, Amen. What a change. 
it was longer than 140 years before we'd heard those words you know, within the walls of Jerusalem. And what a great victory this is, you know, uh, for all mankind to understand who God is. And lifting up their hands, and they bowed their heads and worshipped the Lord with their faces to the ground. And it says, and also Jeshua and Benai, and it says all these people, and it goes down a bit further down, it says, cause the people to understand the law, and the people stood in their place. They were going nowhere. They were, you know, soaking it up. Because they had learned by the building and by the defending and by, you know, delighting in the Lord that this is the only place they wanted to be. And it says, so they read the book in, in the law of God distinctly and gave the sense or the understanding and caused to understand the reading. So they read it to understand. They didn't read it religiously. They didn't approach it like, uh, the rich man, rich to this world. What good thing might I do that I might gain more? And that's what the world's about. More. Give me more. I've got plenty. But give me more. And, but this is the difference. They read the book. They wanted, they desired the word of God. And Nehemiah, which is, it goes, um, is it called a Tirashath? And Ezra the priest, the scribe, and the Levites taught the people and said to all the people, this day is holy unto the Lord your God. It says, mourn not nor weep, for all the people wept when they heard the words of the law. They were sorry, repented of what they were hearing about their people. They were discovering this, they heard it in stories, but now their hearts were connected to the will of God. They had fulfilled the will of God through building you know, what God wanted them to build. And in verse 10, a great verse here, I'll kind of start winding up here. Then he said unto them, go your way, eat the fat and drink the sweet and send portions unto them for whom nothing is prepared. For this day is holy unto our God, neither be ye sorry, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. You have favor with God. You have now received everything that you set out to receive. You, you set your heart towards God, you delighted in his word, and he will give you the desires of your heart. And sometimes we don't know what our desires are, and, and we, but we need to start to put our hands to the plow to understand what does God want my desire to be. If I desire this world, the scriptures say that the end is death. But if I desire the things that God wants me to be, in the end there is eternity and righteousness and glory with the Lord Jesus Christ. So I think there's a lot of, just to finish off, a lot of kind of types here in this story that, you know, Nehemiah was driven to build by this great prophecy of God setting up again um, you know, the foundation of his worship, the city of Jerusalem. He was motivated by this prophecy because he, he knew that if he you know, followed God's will, he could never fail. And he learned, he put his trust in that thought, and he learned through that God is a faithful God, and God will never forget him. God will give him favor. And when we look at our life, that our life is a greater prophecy. And our building is a greater building than the building that, you know, that Nehemiah went back to build. Our prophecy is that God will put his spirit upon all flesh. And he will give us the mind of Christ, that we may understand what is, you know, how God thinks. That is a prophecy that we're building. And the Jerusalem that we build, and the temple that we build now was not built with men's hands. But the temple we have now is within us, the Holy Ghost. We are 
the temple of the Holy Ghost. And now God teaches us how to defend and God teaches us how to build. God teaches us the fundamentals of how to maintain this temple and how to maintain our separation and how to keep away those that would oppose God's kingdom. For there's only two. Some may come with flattering words, but they're either light or darkness. They're either love this world or they love God. They either delight in God's word or they delight in this world. There's nothing in between. That God has now laid within us this great foundation, Jesus Christ. Now we have something to build upon. We have a sure foundation for our Lord Jesus Christ. And all this story here was just all history. And, and for many years they would have sat there in, in Babylon and Shushan and they would have just heard all the warnings, all the great stories, you know, stories of old. But they never really had a story of their own. They never had a story where they, they got to a point where they learned all the defending and they learned all the building and they loved the word of God and they didn't, they were in no hurry to go anywhere. They just wanted to soak it all up. And I guess, um, if you've never been filled with the Holy Spirit, we want this to be your story. We want you to, you know, discover something you've never discovered before. This incredible foundation in Jesus Christ, the infilling of the Holy Spirit. You know it because you speak in this language. God will confirm His word with signs following. And maybe for us, even here, maybe we hear, and without, with all respect, the old stories of the 50s and 60s and the foundation of even our assembly here. Maybe they're all just stories to us. And maybe we've never really um, thought about, you know, do we delight in the Lord? Do we, do we present our bodies a living sacrifice? Lord, what shape do you want me to be? And I will loosen up so that I will fit into that shape that you want me to be. If you would just give me this story where I would learn how to defend and learn how to build. And I would have the testimonies how, how I got favour, ridiculous favour in this world, how your hand came and provided for me, that I may go back and inspire others to do the same as I do. And it may that be like a prayer for ourselves that I want my own story, but we need to believe in our prophecy. We need to believe in the building that God has built now within us, the foundation that lies within us. Our God is a God of the doers. Amen? Our God is a God of doers. He is not into flattery and he's not into play acting. There's either light or darkness. If you do, if you put your hand to the plow, God will bless you. Delight yourselves in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. Amen. Amen.